Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this is Big Small Talk. I'm the founder and CEO of Cheek Media, a progressive news commentary platform discussing feminist, social and political issues. And I'm Sarah. I'm a producer, actually. Um, so I'm not really used to being on this side of the mic too much. Um, but I was in radio for years before jumping over to podcasts. And my first ever podcast, which is probably the most recognisable one, is the Inspired Unemployed podcast, which I'm still working on. I absolutely love. I also produced Two Broke Chicks and there's a few more in development. But I'm really excited about this one. I'm doing this with you. It is very exciting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Pretty much this podcast is where we're going to try and cover the entirety of the news cycle from the serious to the frivolous, all in one place. All in one place. And I think the idea came from that that fact that news is either a serious or a pop culture phenomenon, but why not bring them together and take them all seriously? Give Ooh, our yeah. opinion on everything. Exactly. Well, I mean, at least... I think I found that a little bit working in comedy podcasts a lot, which I loved, but because my background was in journalism, I was kind of missing using that side of my brain as well. Yes. But you feel so pigeonholed. You feel like you kind of like have to be one or the other. Yeah. But most people are... 3D, you know? Crazy, isn't it? I felt the opposite. Like, I feel like writing for Cheek, it's very serious all of the time and you get really bogged down in the heavy. And every time I do something pop culture, I almost felt like I was selling out or that I wouldn't be taken seriously. But it's not true. Every time I'd post something about pop culture, people were like, more, more, more. So I think you can strike the right balance and I hope we do that. We really hope we do that. Um, Because loving pop culture doesn't mean you don't understand politics. What a great line. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And this week, we're going to talk about the Matildas. We're going to talk about Trump. We're going to talk about Lizzo. We're going to talk about Ariana Grande and we're going to talk about tech billionaires. So, fun, mixed bag. Let's go. The Matildas will progress to the quarterfinal of the FIFA Women's World Cup after beating Denmark 2-0 last night in Sydney, while Australia have secured the Netball World Cup for a 12th time after smashing England 61-45 in Cape Town earlier this week. Oh my God! Yes, girls! It's been a huge week for girls who made wearing an ankle brace in year nine their entire personality. (laughs) Um, It's been huge for women's sport. The Matildas are through to the top eight. They'll play the winner of France and Morocco, who are playing tonight at 9pm. And so the Matildas' next game will be at 5pm on this Saturday. Um, So it's all fresh, it's all exciting, it's all hip-hop happening. It was a convincing win against the Danish team with goals by Hayley Razzo and Caitlin Ford. Captain Sam Kerr took the field for the first time in the final 10 minutes of the game last night as well, which was very emotional, I would say. It was a really lovely moment. I I Honestly, I posted this last night on Cheek, but genuinely I have never felt patriotic in my life until now. (laughs) And I know that's like it seems like a dramatic thing to say, but I've really never truly got behind something and a team and a national team like mm. this before. I think a lot of people around the country are feeling the same as well. Like this just triumph of women's sport, both in the netball and the soccer, has been – the football, sorry, blasphemous – has just been incredible. Um, and I, it's, I think it's really starting important conversations about women's sport. Like last week's Matilda's game against Canada reached an audience of 4.71 million people on Huge. Channel 7. So that's not including people who attended the game. Um, and I don't know if it's including Optus sport numbers as well because it was just a massive reach. But it was a record audience for Channel 7 for 2023. So I think also it combats these arguments that we're seeing a lot at the moment that women's sport isn't bringing the same revenue and therefore doesn't deserve the same pay. I think when we're combating and rebutting that, it's this idea that women's sport has been underfunded, undervalued historically. Mm. And when we give women an opportunity to play at an elite level and put them on the world stage, 
audiences respond. The Matildas are currently out selling the Socceroos jerseys two to one. It's wild. It is wild. And like I was looking at this morning at some just like some stats across women's sport. A 2019 study found that women make up 40% of participants in sport, yet receive only 4% of the sports media coverage. Also, in terms of FIFA specifically and football specifically, the pay disparity between the Australian men's and women's team is 549% as of this year. So when we're just thinking about those stats, and but like, I just think it's really important to talk about the way that investment in women's sport now has exponential potential. Mm. Anyway, I'm very passionate about this. You are, but I, I think it's amazing. I'm like, I've decided I'm an expert in hair ribbons. You are. In, in, like, I am an expert in offside now after messaging seven of my friends and making a PowerPoint presentation about it. Like, I am just, like, so into it and I'm so excited about it and I just think this is such an opportunity for the country to get behind a team of women for the next couple of weeks yeah. and, like, let's see what happens. But I am I could cry. I'm so excited. That was a great recap. I got momentarily thrown when you said hip-hop happening, but I got back, <laughs> I got back on board. Um, no, it's so amazing and I don't think... I don't think I've seen anything like this in my lifetime around a women's sport match. And I think the best story, I think you told me this the other week when the first game happened about um, the player that got into a taxi. Yeah, I think I, this elite athlete got into a taxi and she tweeted later about it that she got into a taxi and the cab driver had said, did you see the game? And she said, what game? And he said, the Matildas. And she was like, I am an elite athlete. I've never heard a man say the game and be referring to women's sport. And like, that choked me off a bit. That is the stuff, right? Yeah, no, I love it. Go the Matildas. Go the Matildas. Three of Lizzo's former backup dancers have filed a lawsuit against the pop star, accusing her of sexual harassment and allegedly fostering a hostile work environment. This is a huge story this week. And it's pretty complicated. I feel like I've gone down an absolute rabbit hole trying to get my head around it. But essentially, both Lizzo and her dance captain, Sherling Quigley, have been accused. There's three dancers that have filed the lawsuit. Their names are Crystal Williams, Ariana Davis, and Noelle Rodriguez. Ariana and Crystal actually began performing with Lizzo after competing on Watch Out for the Big Girls in 2021, which is Lizzo's reality TV show which I had no idea about. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, um, anyway, let's go into what they're alleging. I've broken it into Lizzo and Charlene separately. So Lizzo, accused of making a thinly veiled comment relating to a dancer's weight gain and later firing her for recording a meeting. Accused of overworking dancers and making the group re-audition in an excruciating 12-hour rehearsal. Those she was dissatisfied with were then fired and sent home. Accused of coercing a dancer into touching a woman's breast at a strip club despite the dancer opposing. Accused of inviting her dancers to a nude cabaret bar without disclosing the specifics of the performance. Accused of firing a dancer for challenging her claim that the group was drinking before performances. Charlene, accused of trying to convert the dancers to her religion accused of scolding the dancers for having premarital sex, accused of discussing masturbation and sexual fantasies with the group without warrant. That's the that's the rundown of what's been that, accused. And, like, let's be really clear on this. These are serious and credible allegations. They're just so, like, the first thing I saw when I read that was that is, like, weirdly specific examples. Yeah. Like, it's a tough yeah. thing just to pull out of nowhere yeah. is my thing. I want to share as well... Um, Sherlene made an Instagram post after the lawsuit was filed and I just thought it was the weirdest response. I don't really know how necessary this is. I was going to play a snippet because I thought, "Mm, okay. 
Hey everybody, I just wanted to get on here really quick and say, God is so, so good. God loves you so, 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 so much. No matter what you're going through, even if you don't love him, he loves you. That's honestly just a snippet. It goes for like another minute. Um, But like, you've just been accused of trying to convert dances to your religion. Is that what you're going to come in with? I find that really disturbing, actually. So let's go through what the immediate reaction to this has been. Um, Lizzo's Instagram has lost nearly 220,000 followers since this broke. But what I just think is really interesting is I just haven't really seen, except Grimes, anyone really come out in defense of Lizzo. Like, no other dancers have been like, oh, actually, I've had an amazing experience with her. I saw something from a filmmaker who said she dropped out as director of Lizzo's documentary back in 2019 after facing mistreatment. And she said, I was treated with such disrespect by her. I witnessed how arrogant, self-centered and unkind she is. That's pretty And it's just, there's like just multiple statements like this emerging. And it really, it's really sad to me because I especially think, I know we're going to get more into this, but I especially think she's just been in Australia touring. I know. I saw her at Splendour and it was genuinely one of the most like life affirming experiences I've ever had. I wasn't a big Lizzo fan beforehand and I actually actively went and sought out her music after seeing her live because I was so just like captured by her performance and the message. She's actually come out with a response since. She's put out a statement on Instagram. It's quite long. So I'm going to pull out parts, um, but she said, these sensationalized stories are coming from former employees who have already publicly admitted that they were told their behavior on tour was inappropriate and unprofessional. She also went on to say, I am not here to be looked at as a victim, but I also know that I am not the villain that people and the media have portrayed me to be these last few days. Okay, there's a lot to unpack with that, but the first thing I want to pick up on is, you know when she says, like, these sensationalized stories they've already publicly admitted. Yeah. Now, that was a bit of a silent threat, yeah. to be honest. And I, it's really interesting because then right after that, Lizzo's lawyer released a snippet to TMZ that was Ariana, one of the dancers, um, praising Lizzo and how amazing it is to work with her. <sighs> then update on this as well. Ariana then responded to this in an interview with Access Hollywood. And to quote part of it, she said, the video was done before the bulk of our allegations occurred And this was just me grasping at straws in my last attempt to make her see how committed I was to being loyal to her and her camp. This is completely unfair. I also would suggest that the terms of her employment contract might indicate that she has to portray Lizzo in a positive light. If you're still working with someone, you're not going to get on TV and be like, yeah, send help, guys. Yeah. that's and I I, mm. I I think that this is where the legal arguments will become just completely ridiculous. And I just think that of course they have to do this. Of course that's what her lawyers are going to do. I think it's a really obvious response. But I just feel like this is going to become a he said she said. Well, she said she said in this case. Yeah. And we may never know the outcome. And I don't know what the public is supposed to do with this information because in all there's a high likelihood that there's a settlement here and there's a payout with um, mm. no fault admitted mm-hmm. um, and we'll never know. And yeah. so I, I guess the question then becomes what is the reputational damage to Lizzo and what does cancel culture do? I know. You know and I, not that I think cancel culture exists, but what is the public response to something like this? I think when I read Lizzo's statement as well, I thought, interesting tactic, because most of the time when stuff like this happens, celebrities will get on. We've seen teary apology videos. Uh-huh. It's very much usually encouraged to take the route, like, I'm sorry if there's if I've hurt anyone. Yes. And it's more of you put yourself on the back foot to win over a public opinion. Yeah. I do think Lizzo doubling down is not what I was expecting, to be honest. <sighs> when I first read her response, I thought, ooh, she 
is in the right. I actually I actually read it. I thought she oh, is really? so she is so adamant and she is so committed to this I have I will not be broken and the things that I have put into the world, the good mm. I have done will not be tarred by this sort of thing. Yeah. It was really interesting and I immediately was like, oh my God, like that's I've never really seen something like that. Well you don't usually yeah. see doubling down. Usually like you that. see like a watery apology. Yeah. I also think that part of the conversation here is that the response has been really problematic and I want to raise the point of mm. I think there's been a lot of discussion around like, well, Lizzo's fans who are largely left wing would be the same people that would say when men are accused we should believe survivors and we should believe people who are claiming and alleging that they're victims of of a perpetrator. And in mm. this case that is Lizzo. Lizzo is the perpetrator. And so what is the difference between how we're treating Lizzo and how we would treat a white man who's facing these allegations, which are very serious? Mm. I think there's an interesting thing to be said here where a lot of the response to Lizzo has been fatphobic, racist, misogynistic. Yeah, that's right? my – okay. My initial thing to this was <sighs> – I think it's a pretty massive deal. A, go against your boss in any work setting. Mm-hmm. Like, that's huge. But to go against an internationally beloved yeah. superstar, I, I just don't think you do that for fun. I think that's a really big thing. I also think it says a lot to how cooked the industry is as well. But in saying all of that, that's a separate conversation to you using this and Lizzo as an opportunity to flex that you're fatphobic and racist and misogynist. Totally. And I think that people in the in the public are engaging in the same behaviour she's being accused of, which doesn't make you better. It makes you equal and a perpetrator as well. Mm. But the other piece of that puzzle responding to what you just said about, you know, like you wouldn't do that lightly. Of course not. But in a way, coming out and making those allegations, someone like Lizzo has further to fall. Because yeah. as much as people say, like, everyone who's faces allegations should be treated equally, I agree. And she won't be treated equally because she's a woman. She is sort of in that left-wing progressive space. And she is representing these ideas of inclusion, diversity, um, all of these things, right? But that means that we are uh, – uh, is it right that the public then holds her to a higher standard? I don't know. I don't know. Even if these allegations were proven to be false or if there's a settlement and we never know the outcome – can she ever recover from this? Yeah. And I guess the question then becomes, how do we treat people in the media and people we love and look up to when they face things like this? And and what do we do with their art then? I think there's always a question of art and artist. Yeah. I personally, like I was going for a run the other day and Lizzo came on and I was like, what to do? <laughs> I was like, I was really struggling with that. And I think a lot of people are at the moment because we're all big fans, but it doesn't mean that just because you like someone and you're a fan of them doesn't mean that you can apply your morals differently. Like it's such a hard conversation yeah. as well. I also want to add, and I, I just don't know if this is an appropriate thing to add, but the first thought I had when this news broke is I'm very concerned for the person that got Lizzo tattooed on her ass after Splendor. And Splendor! And I'm like, and, and oh. honestly, a takeaway in this story is don't tattoo people. It's too risky. Especially that ex <laughs> from Tinder, but also Lizzo. So we know this is a complicated story. We know we need to be careful with the language we're using. It's an allegation and we need to see how these legal processes unfold, which we'll be following. So watch this space. But I think the, t- the key takeaway here is... Just because someone's been accused of perpetrating harm doesn't mean that it allows the public to slam them with fatphobic, misogynistic, racist comments. Because Lizzo won't see it, but your friends will. And it's disgraceful. (laughs) I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Despite facing charges in three different criminal cases, Donald Trump's approval ratings remain high and critical thinking remains at an all-time low as the US heads towards the 2024 presidential election. 
So Donald Trump has been indicted for a third time facing four charges relating to attempts to overthrow the 2020 election. Can I add, that is the first time that's ever happened to a president. Oh my gosh, you've made an incredible list. So there's a list, Donald Trump's first. First former US president to be impeached twice. First former US president to be indicted three times. First former US president to be indicted in a state and two federal cases. First former US president to be liable for sexual abuse by a jury. Insane. Oh, my God. His LinkedIn is slay. Look at that. Actually, also, Donald Trump is currently facing now 561 years in prison over multiple charges. I'm obsessed with your stats. Yes, you're welcome. Anyway, that's according to a News.com article. Oh, my God. As you were. As you were. No, okay, so... Hours before the third indictment was unsealed, the New York Times revealed polling which showed Trump and Biden were tied in popularity amongst registered voters at 43% each. Trump doesn't know how to read numbers and he came out and said he's more popular than Biden, that means. (laughs) I don't know how that works. Um, But in terms of the Republican primary, Trump is leading his opponent, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, by 37 points. I I cannot even express that that is a landslide. Like, that is like an unshakable lead, basically. But... Before Trump's court appearance last Thursday, he posted on his social media platform, Truth Social, that he only needs one more indictment to ensure he is elected as president next year. Holy shit. Um, I kind of forgot that Trump made his own social platform as well. Yeah. Fun surprise. Fun surprise. It's very easy to forget what he's up to. Well, yeah, yeah. but it, these indictments kind of bring him back into the spotlight. I then. agree. Our walking Dorito. Let's <laughs> let's. So I think I also think it's really important because I think that people get. I think that there's so much going on with Trump that people become disengaged because they're like, mm. I don't know what the legal language means. I don't know what's going on. It's overseas. So like, I want to get back to basics. What is an indictment? So an indictment is a formal accusation, but it's not a conviction. So it's a formal accusation of a serious crime. In the US, when a person is indicted in a criminal court in the United States, it means that a grand jury, which has been composed of residents chosen at random, believed there was enough evidence to charge that person with a crime. Mm. So they're generally convened by judges at the request of prosecutors, um, and they can meet for weeks and hear like a variety of evidence before. And also what's important, in criminal cases, you need a unanimous consensus and a grand jury you need a majority right and basically the judge is not present during the proceedings and the jurors can ask the witnesses questions so it's kind of more Mm. of a conversational thing but there's no judge in the room to witness it so it's just the jury that watches engages and makes a decision right so Australia doesn't have this system so when we're hearing the language we're probably a bit confused as listeners we don't have this system because we don't allow private citizens to make determinations on whether people face criminal prosecution in a court the process here is that legal professionals make that decision. Right. So that's I think that's a key distinction because when we're reading this, we can be really confused and be like, I've never heard of that here and it's important to and understand. You think it's a, yeah. Yeah, it's important to understand why. So that's kind of the process there. So he's been indicted three times on three separate – and then not just one charge, it's multiple charges under each. I'm going to run through the charges quickly. So the first set of charges relates to the classified documents case in Florida. Those charges are – 32 counts of willful retention of national defence information under the Espionage Act, conspiracy to obstruct justice, and false statements and representations, among others. Just, that's, <laughs> not, others. Even, that's not even it. Among others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, oh right? Oh, my God. The second set is the hush money case in New York, which mm. includes 34 felony charges of falsifying business records. <gasps> okay, marathon. Third set. <laughs> this set is... 
related to the 2020 election. Now, I want to be clear on this. It's not about him lying about winning or losing. It's actually about the obstruction and the conspiracy. So the third set of criminal charges are attempting to hold him accountable for attempting to overturn the 2020 election results. Now, it's also important. Sorry. I, you always just need to take a minute. Does, did everyone get that? I know. Does everyone I, just like, and, and, let and that then, sink in? And then, and then just like sit back, relax, try to let a, another thought in. This man is tied equally in New York Times polling with the current president of the United States. 43% approval. With no mainstream social media backing behind him to campaign with. No. Now let's get back to the list. <laughs> Earlier this year, Trump was found liable for sexual abuse and defamation towards writer E. Jean Carroll. There are also potential charges on the way. There's also a potential fourth indictment here, and it's particularly related to the 2020 election, but the attempts to overthrow it in Georgia. So Trump was like, sort of, he, he tried to get people to find votes in inverted quotations, like find the votes that I need to win. The grand jury have, have report has been delivered. We don't know the outcome, the general charges and what may or may not be laid is being considered right now. And we can expect that the next couple of months. Right. Now, I'm just like completely just, uh, it's just so absurd. My mind can't even sort of get, make sense of this. But I think what's really important to understand too is we're heading towards an election in the United States, but the primary for the Republican vote may not be decided until as late as June next year, keeping in mind that his trials for the hush money and the Florida documents are in March and May of next year. Mm. So he could run this entire race, go to trial, not receive verdicts on all of the charges and be declared the winner of the primary for the Republican nomination and be potentially running against Joe Biden for the 2024 election. If he does, if he is found guilty... Mm. Can he run for president? Like, if all of this... Well, he, it, if he goes to prison, like, no. But you know what's really interesting as well? I've been reading into these other candidates that don't stand a chance against him because every time he faces more charges, think about it. The media is having a field day. He is getting unlimited airtime on mm. every channel, which means no other candidate is even has a look but in. But we've seen this. That's what this was at the beginning. This has been that from the start. But also it's this weird trap for the other Republican nominees or the other Republicans running in this race because if they talk about him, they can't actually say that He's a criminal. They can't. They're not saying that he shouldn't be running because if they do, they'll be attacked by the Republicans. Mm. So they actually can't beat him at his own game because if they speak out against him or challenge him, they will be like completely wiped out of the race. Mm. I think what is the most painful part of this whole story is that it just proves that despite everything that happened, we can't seem to learn our fucking lesson. Yeah. Like, we, not we. I'm not putting myself in this no. bucket, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. it, the fact that history can repeat itself, yeah, so easily. No, exactly. And I think it's just really showcasing a system that is built to serve white men. Pop star Ariana Grande has confused the narrative this week as attempts to cancel her have been momentarily put on hold following a leaked snippet of a new song that, admittedly, sounds really hot. Oh my god. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably got the gist of the Ariana Grande cheating scandal story. If you haven't, don't worry, because I'm going to recap it anyway, because it's juicy, we have updates, and I want to talk about it. Bit always. fun. Bit fun. <laughs> <laughs> so in a nutshell, Ariana Grande is currently kind of getting cancelled for being a homewrecker. Um, after rumours spiralled a few weeks ago that she was having an affair with her wicked co-star, Ethan Slater. Not that this is a necessary detail to the story. I'm sure it is. 
Uh, Ethan Slater was SpongeBob on Broadway. Mm. And let me just say, if anyone looked like the human form of SpongeBob, no, that's me. Hmm. <laughs> Ethan Slater would be aggressively punching with Ariana Grande is what I'm trying to say. That's really putting it lightly and I respect that about you, <laughs> that you've really taken the high road on that one and you've refused to be nasty. I really respect that, Sarah. <laughs> I don't think calling someone the human form of Spongebob was my nicest <laughs> But work. he plays Spongebob. It's a neat joke. Okay, what made this story even worse is that we then learnt that Ethan had a wife, Lily, who was his high school sweetheart and they had a one-year-old son together. Icky. I love that you've written yikes. And I'm like, yikes. it's yikes again, the <laughs> understatement of the year. This is a pretty horrible this is a pretty horrible story. It is. And then what made it even worse is that Ethan's wife, Lily, then filed for divorce, which really cemented these rumors a bit. And then to all but confirm it, page six then quoted Ethan's ex now ex-wife, saying, Ariana's the story, really, not a girl's girl. My family is just collateral damage. Can I just say I think given this current climate, with the Barbie movie, with the Taylor Swift eras, with girl dinner, I don't really, like, there with is... Girl <laughs> dinner, with girl stop. dinner, stop, that's so, so funny. But there's such a community around women and yeah. girlhood and womanhood right yeah. now that to be not called a girl's girl was the most genius, like, scathing review of someone. Like, this is the worst time imaginable to be not called a girl's yeah. girl. You don't want to be not like other girls. You want to be exactly... I am exactly like I other am, girls. I am trying my hardest to be exactly like the girls. It's, oh, And then I think what made this story even bigger, like, cheating scandals aren't new, but what really stuck with this story is that people pointed out pretty quickly that this seems to be a pattern for mm. Ariana. Like, again, it's all alleged, but, like... To run through it really quickly, and I'm sure everyone kind of already knows it already, but 2013, allegedly cheated on Nathan Sykes with Jai Brooks. 2014, Big Sean. Weeks before they started dating, he was actually engaged to the late Glee actress Naya Rivera, and Naya published in her book, I walk in, go downstairs, and guess what little girl is sitting cross-legged on the couch listening to music? It rhymes with Shmariana Shmande. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's iconic. Uh, yeah. And then 2018, probably her most famous relationship, Pete Davidson. Now, Pete was actually in a really long-term relationship with Cassie David, who, if you don't know, is Larry David's daughter, icon. They went on a break, and I'm pretty sure it was like two days later or something ridiculous, he then went public and mm. official with Ariana Grande. So just a bit on the nose. And then the latest story on this is that in the last few days, despite all of this, Ariana has a sound now trending on TikTok that's now going viral that is a leaked new song, um, which is kind of genius PR because even I, who have, like, hated this story the whole time, I cannot deny that that song sounds so fucking good. It's like this sexy 90s R&B song and I'm just like, oh, release it and I might forgive you. <laughs> like, no, no. I'm sorry, but it like scratches something in my brain. It sounds so good. Sarah, oh. Sarah showed me the clip this morning. I hadn't actually heard it before this morning. And it is like, it is the most problematic, like <laughs> I did the thing everyone's accusing me of. <laughs> 10 well, second leak I've ever heard. Apparently the song was like made years ago. Um, okay. But it is very funny because the lyrics is about her fantasizing about someone else's man. But she has so many songs like that. And I'm like, this is problematic, but I'm like, mm -mm. I'm going to offer something, and I am I know I'm taking pop culture, like, way too far again, like, like usual. But <laughs> I think that for a lot of us who enjoy this sort of music, it makes us feel sexy because it's kind of the fantasy that we don't engage in. 
Like mm, I am not someone. I feel psychoanalyzed. Sorry, but like, I, <laughs> and I, you're right. But you know what I mean. Like I think that like we listen to music that's a bit like erotic and like problematic yeah. because we are like that's not us. But it like gives us a moment when we're listening to it of like secrecy, privacy within our own ears yeah, yeah, yeah. to like think and feel like that like sexual thing, right? Yeah. But it's because we don't engage in the poor behaviour that it's hot. That's a really good point. But like, I mean, for me as a listener, I'm like, you're the worst. <laughs> you are the worst because you do these things. No, I, it's the same as her song, Break Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored. Oh. Now, I'm listening to that song and I'm like, morally, I couldn't disagree with something more. But I'm liking this song. But do you I'm see my point? <laughs> you're like singing it because you're like, this is like my slutty alter ego and that's a bit fun. But when the singer actually is like a homewrecker, and I'm sorry, I know that people are going to be like, you're criticising a woman. Yes, who's done something clearly very wrong. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> but if it comes to fruition and it's all correct, like I have a huge problem. I also think if this really does blow over entirely with like a 10-second <laughs> snippet of a hot song... The girls' girl movement maybe wasn't as strong as I thought it was. <laughs> and that's upsetting. Well, maybe Barbie didn't bring us all together and <laughs> um, and snap us out of the brainwash kingdom. A 10-second clip for us to be like, ooh, <laughs> much to reflect on. Much to reflect on. Former Prime Minister Scott Morrison has given a speech in Parliament declaring the RoboDebt Royal Commission's findings were unfounded and wrong. I want to get into first what was RoboDebt and explain if it well, Stay with us, everyone. Stay with us. Sorry. <laughs> stay with us. I, no yawning. I feel like them calling it RoboDebt was like the best PR move they ever did because everyone's yeah. like, ooh, that sounds so, so boring. boring. <laughs> and that's the thing. When people hear RoboDebt, they think bureaucracy, they think politics, they think finance, they think boring, tune out. But it's important that we know this. Yeah. So... RoboDebt was the coalition government's unlawful debt recovery scheme which operated between 2015 and 2019. Essentially, it alleged $1.76 billion in debts were owed by almost half a million Australians to Centrelink. Now, it incorrectly used income averaging to determine what was owed by individuals instead of relying on actual evidence. This method was illegal and resulted in unlawful debt notices being served to our most vulnerable members of our community. So essentially, the government put out these debt notices and put the onus back on individuals to prove that they didn't owe that and in the most cases they didn't owe that or didn't owe that much. Yes. Is that right? Yes. And then this also went to people that were on like welfare. Yeah. So it's the most vulnerable it's people. all people who are receiving Centrelink. So all people that are receiving payments from the government. Right. And it literally overturned the presumption of innocence. Mm. And I think when you think about it through that context, and people committed suicide. Like, yeah. this is really serious. It's so important to think about the people and the real lives that were really impacted at yeah. the centre of this story because this was horrific. And so human. And yeah. for people that were given these huge debt notices yeah. that they then didn't know what to do with, didn't know how to prove otherwise, didn't have that sort of money. Yeah. So the RoboDebt Royal Commission handed down its final report, which is almost a 1,000 pages recently, and it was scathing of key figures, including Prime, former Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Now, referrals have been made to the Australian Federal Police, the National Anti-Corruption Commission and professional conduct bodies, so like solicitors and accountants and things like that. While we know there have been referrals for both criminal and civil charges that will be prosecuted or are likely to be prosecuted against particular individuals, we don't know which key figures have been referred to mm -hmm. as 
the chapter of the report is sealed. So it's a bit of a fun secret. This is where it gets interesting. Like, I think people want to, like, gloss over this story, but this is fascinating and this is going to be serious. Like, there's serious long-term implications here. So now we're going to look at what Scott Morrison's involvement is and what the latest of this story is. So Scott Morrison was the social services minister from December of 2014 until September of 2015. Now, the Robert at Royal Commission found that Morrison allowed Cabinet to be misled about whether legislation was required to raise debts through the method known as income averaging. So Scott Morrison has not said whether he is named in the report sealed section, but last Monday he gave a pretty absurd speech in Parliament where he called the findings of the report unfounded and wrong. He accused the Royal Commission of unfairly and retroactively applying a consensus that the that Robodet was unlawful and told Parliament Labor was pursuing a campaign of political lynching against him. He said the media had disproportionately focused on him and he claims he played no role and had no responsibility in the operation and administration of the scheme. Mm. I also just think that this is going to be something that's unfolding for a long time to come. We'll be following it pretty closely because I think it's a really important story and people underestimate the power of this sort of stuff. And it's a part of Australia's history that I think many people would like to forget, but which we shouldn't. Because the coalition government and the people that were involved in this story desperately want us to forget and they want to position it as Labor just taking revenge or something when actually what it is was this was a significant failure in public administration and people deserve compensation. They deserve more than that. They deserve justice Mm. and they haven't seen that yet. How long do you think this will be unfolding for? Like how long are we talking? I wouldn't be surprised if it's years. Wow. Yeah. Recent tweets confirm that tech billionaires Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg are currently just ironing out the logistics of their promised actual physical cage fight. The tweets indicate that it will be soon and it will be live streamed. They need hobbies. (laughs) This story is just as ridiculous as it sounds. Like part of me actually wanted to write a headline that was going to be just like a big joke, but I actually just wrote the facts, and it was funny. And it's that's satire enough, just <laughs> as it is, right? Um, so in case you missed it, back in June, Elon Musk tweeted that he would be up for a cage fight with Zuckerberg. And Zuckerberg then shot back, posting a screenshot of Elon's tweet with the caption, send me location. It all just kind of seemed funny. No one was really taking mm. it seriously. But then this, like fight between the two billionaires then intensified, of course, with the release of Threads, which was, is a direct competitor to Twitter. This then kickstarted a super random Twitter rebrand where Twitter is now called X, if you missed that. It's no longer called Twitter. And the iconic blue bird has been killed off. and Murdered. <laughs> murdered. Goodbye, bird. Goodbye, bird. Anyways, Back to the cage fight in a tweet. I keep saying tweet. I don't know what it is now. Is it a tweet? Let's just go with tweet because I think that's memorable to people. It's, like, yeah, I don't know what. I don't. With an, I made an X. I don't know. Elon posted saying he's lifting weights throughout the day, preparing for the fight, and then added that all proceeds will go to charity for veterans. So the cage fight's back on, it seems. Whoa. Zuckerberg then replied... Via threads, I'm ready today. I suggested August 26 when he first challenged, but he hasn't confirmed, not holding my breath. Oh. Elon then came back and announced the fight will be live streamed on X, although he then 
sad update said, may need surgery before the fight can happen because he has a problem with his neck and upper back. Anyway, random. Although he has assured that he will have a better idea of dates for us this week and it's going to be in Vegas. Mark your calendars? (laughs) The thing is I got to this and I was like, who do we have our money on? Do we care? I think it's funny. I don't know which billionaire I care or like more. Like I've I never don't. thought of I just I do, I will say I probably have my money on Mark Zuckerberg because I did read that he actually is like a devoted martial arts person. Um, so I just think Elon talks big game. He's all talk. Yeah. But I, ha- I actually have nothing to add. Like no notes because I'm just no like notes. you've done it all. I have no jokes. This is the joke. This you are the joke. the joke. You've beat us to every punchline we could have thought of. <laughs> Something I think about Elon Musk quite often is that he had this really dedicated, devoted following before he went on this Twitter slash X rampage, but he has just progressively like come out and just doubled down on this messaging that no one's receptive to. He still has like that loyal fan base, but it's, it's shrunk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, he could have just had his fan nerd supergroup and it's sort of died out. And he would have been a hero. Yeah. Die a hero or live long enough to see yourself yeah. become the villain. Yeah. That's Elon Musk right now. And I think it's like he's lived far long enough. That's happened. So we'll see what what this cage fight presents. But yeah. I actually don't doubt it'll happen. Neither. Okay, so now it's time for our Q&A section of the pod. Basically, each week we will take a question from the Cheek Inbox or the Big Small Talk Pod Inbox on Instagram. So send your questions through. I'll start putting up some question boxes on Cheek to get the ball rolling. But otherwise, every week, if you have a thought on the pod, if you have a thought on a particular news story or a particular life event, let us know. Let us know. If you've entirely disagreed with something we've said this week, let let us us know. know. It's fine. Yeah, we (laughs) love it. I mean, you don't have to be mean. No, but we also, like... We're trying to cover as much as we can. Send us us your hot take. We saw something in the cheek inbox. Well, you've probably got this a lot, actually. Obviously, the Barbie movie's been huge. We've all seen it by now if you haven't figured it out. I'm sorry. (laughs) I refuse to do, like, spoiler alert now. It's been enough time. Yeah. But what I did think was interesting and what we saw in the inbox was someone sent in, what are your thoughts on the number one trend seemingly from the Barbie movie being about Ken and Ken's song being number one? See, my initial take on that is the Ken song is number one because it was the best song in the film and it had the most, like, iconic scene associated with it. Yeah. So I get that. Um, and I've been singing it all week. Like, I've mm. been obsessed with this song, so I am not really here to, like, critique that part. What I have a problem with is this emerging TikTok trend where, like, the f- I, it's not that I have a problem with the trend. I have a problem with the way that it's become the dominant force online. So Barbie came out. Then the first thing I saw as a viewer was this overwhelming trend of the Ken song um, being the sound backtrack to videos of women filming their boyfriends, husbands, whatever, and saying, like, this is my Ken. And then, like, he is computer Ken and then talking all about their partner. Mm. And from my perspective, I'm like... I'm not saying, like, how dare you post anything about a man ever. Like, that's not really my take. But my take is, like, isn't it interesting that even after, like, basically the most feminist film ever produced, like the most mainstream feminist film ever produced and released and the biggest success, it's just surpassed a billion dollars, has immediately become about men. Women re-centering their partners. I'm not here to condemn or demonise the women for doing that. I'm not here to condemn or demonise the men for, like, existing. That's not my point. My point is that, like, even amongst it all, that's the focus. And isn't that interesting? Because what does that say about us? Like, I think the whole point of the film was to, like, reposition this idea of, like, women being centred without even the existence of men being a part of our lives. Mm. And then everyone's raced home to video their boyfriend. 
I agree. And I think when I saw that inbox, I was like, oh, I didn't really think of it like that, to be fair. However, I would say that that was such a punchline in the movie. Like, Ken was the punchline in the movie. Yes. And if you're going to think of trends, trends is just taking something that's going to be easily replicable yeah. and easily applied. And I think the motive behind it, like, it is still 100% fitting within the theme of the movie to be like, this is my Ken. He's just Ken. Yeah. And that is when the branding came out for the movie, she's everything and he's just Ken. That was the main takeaway message that they drilled home. So I'm not surprised that that did become the easiest trend to make. Yeah, I get that. Also, because as much as I'm criticising it, when I do think about it, when women are filming their partners and saying, like, this is my Ken, it is almost patronising. Of the guy, I don't think it's, it's like, like he's amazing. Look no, at his computer. No, it's like, I agree. Look at little Ken with his computer. Totally. <laughs> I still think it's interesting, but what I want to see is like, and what I posted on Cheeks TikTok was I posted a criticism of this, and I was like, I don't want to hear about your Ken. I want to be hear about you as Barbie. Yeah. Like the idea being like, what is your personality? What is your identity? What is your success? Yeah. And positioning yourself and uplifting yourself. Yes, you can have the Ken joke, but like, can we do both? Can we do both? It's the she's everything. Let's not forget that line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I completely agree. I don't want to get up on my high horse about it because it's still fun. And I don't want to like condemn anyone who's done it. But I think there's a conversation to be had about it and that's fun as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Thank you for sending that in. That's a good question. Thank you for listening this week. Please, if you have any questions, queries, opinions, concerns, send through on bigsmalltalk_pod, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.